Welcome to the Practice Purchased Podcast, where you'll learn everything you need to know to buy the perfect dental practice, all for free, and all in less than 20 minutes an episode. Learn more about your host, author, presenter, and coach to hundreds of successful dental practice buyers by visiting brianhanks.com. Welcome to the Practice Purchased Podcast, Episode 5, Putting Your Team Together and Selecting Your Accountant. My name is Brian, I'm your host, and I am really excited to talk to you guys today about a subject that I'm especially passionate about, not least of all because I am the accountant on some of these dental transactions. So I have a lot to say and a lot of strong feelings on the subject, but I want to make sure that as you're putting your team together, that you understand, of course, the basic principle that there's no way to know what you don't know. And there's no way to be an expert in this entire process by just self-educating through Dentaltown and Facebook and talking to your friends. I highly, highly recommend that you at least have a team of a couple people as you go through your transactions. When you're buying your practice, there are going to be a lot of folks involved. So as I talk with you at the beginning of this episode, I'm going to focus on thinking about who's on the team and who's not on the team. And then in the second half of this episode, we're going to talk about the accountant specifically and how you're going to select that accountant. Okay. So ask yourself a question as we begin this episode. When you're buying your dental practice, who is on your team, on your team, not involved in the transaction, but who's on your team and who's off your team. Okay. So I'll give you a list of some of the folks that are involved, right? There's going to be a broker, probably. There'll be an accountant a banker, a lawyer or two. There are probably going to be insurance reps involved. There could be a consultant. Equipment reps are certainly involved. There might be credentialing experts and possibly others that have a vested interest in the transaction closing. And I'm not even talking about the personal side of family, spouse, significant ones, etc. Okay, so of that list, who would you put on your team. Now, the title of the episode should give it away a little bit. I think your accountant should be on your team. Okay, who else? Who else should be on your team? What about the broker? Should the broker be on your team? Uh, hopefully, that one's kind of easy. <laughs> Unequivocally, the broker is not on your team. The broker works for and is paid directly by the seller. All right, the broker is not on your team. Even in those cases, and this is something we'll talk about in a later episode, even in those cases, when the broker is what they call a dual representation lawyer, or a broker, um, they say they're working for both sides of the transaction. I can assure you that is not the case. The broker is definitely not on your team in those situations. Okay. What about a lawyer? What about the lawyer that uh, you hire to help you through the transition? That person is definitely on your team. Okay. Let me throw a tricky one at you. What about the banker? The banker on your team or not? Now, the banker is going to be paid by you, right? You are getting a loan, and uh, the banker's certainly not working for the seller. So wouldn't the banker be on your team? And this one, I kind of fudge a little bit and say yes and no. The banker is, in some respects, on your team. They are paid by you. They work with you directly. They're, have a, they have a vested interest in getting paid back by you. So they want to make sure that you're going to be successful in your practice. But, but... The banker has an incentive for you to get as big a loan as possible, right? Bankers are salespeople, just like uh, anybody else in this process. And their incentives are generally 
uh, of the sort where they get paid more the bigger the loan that gets um, uh, taken out by you. So I kind of put the banker in the middle on the team, but cautiously. Okay. Uh, any insurance reps, folks helping you with credentialing or life and disability insurance um, are going to be similar to the banker. Uh, in some respects, they're kind of, they're paid by you, but ultimately they're selling a product. And whether or not you're successful as a practice owner is almost irrelevant if you have a life insurance policy or a disability insurance policy. So I would not put insurance reps on your team. They're involved. They're important. Finding a good one is important. I can help you with that if you ever need the help, but they're not on your team. Um, equipment reps on your team, off your team. Again, I say no, not on your team. They have a vested interest in selling you things. They're, they would be really happy if you went in and replaced all the chairs, all the computers, all the equipment in the office that you just recently purchased. Okay, not necessarily. Um, two folks that could be on your team but are not necessarily involved in every transaction. In fact, they're involved in, in a minority of transactions that I see are number one, the credentialing expert, someone that helps you through the PPO credentialing process so you can submit claims as soon as you buy those practice and get paid. And number two, the lease negotiator. Um, sometimes you'll outsource the task of negotiating a lease uh, away from your attorney and to a, a very specific, dedicated person whose only job is to negotiate the lease. It's rare that I see that, but I wanted to mention that just in case you fall into the situation where you want some additional help with the lease. Okay, so just to summarize, two folks on your team, your accountant, your lawyer, you could see a credentialing expert on your team or a lease negotiator, but in most cases, the only people on your team are your accountant and your lawyer. And the reason they're on your team is because they are incented for you to buy the right practice and they're paid directly by you. They have no incentive for you to buy a practice bigger or not uh, a good fit for you. Their only goal is to get you into the right practice. All right, so that is who's on your team and who's off your team. So let's talk about four things about the accountant. Okay, so when you are selecting your accountant, I'm going to give you four things to think about, and I'm going to give you some specific advice underneath each of these topics. The first is, what does the account, accountant actually do? All right, and I'll give you exactly what your accountant should do for you. I'll tell you, I'll answer the question of how much is your accountant going to charge you? What is this going to cost? And when do you pay? Because that's important too. Number three, we're going to talk about the questions you should ask to select the best accountant. And then number four, I'll give you some potential pitfalls and things to watch for as I've gone through the process and watched others go through the process, both with me and outside of, of any engagement with me. Okay. All right. So what does your accountant actually do? Let's talk about the basics. Now, your accountant is going to, first and foremost, look at, analyze, and comment on the financials and tax returns of a practice you're looking at. No matter the shape, size, flavor, type of business entity, your accountant will want to see financial statements for the practice. Now, this is exactly like imaging for a business. The financials are imaging for a business, and your accountant has the tools, the expertise, and the experience, hopefully. And we'll talk about how to make sure they do to analyze this as a business. All right, you're about to take out a big loan. You're going to have to start making pretty big payments on that loan. You're going to want to make sure that the underlying business is healthy, 
that it falls within normal standards for different categories of expenses like employees, labs and supplies, facilities, advertising, things like that. And you're going to want to make sure that that accountant gives you a sense of whether or not the business is healthy and is a good practice to buy. Uh, furthermore, the accountant should help you value the practice. The accountant should have the ability to know and be able to apply the basic principles of valuation uh, to a practice you're considering. And by the way, that doesn't mean simply multiplying last year's collections by 70 or 75% and saying, yeah, sure, that's a fair price. Your accountant should be able to apply valuation principles, tell you whether or not a seller's asking price, either prepared by a broker or prepared by themselves, is reasonable. And uh, they should be able to look at both uh, what they call EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, and collections in the standards uh, for your specific geographic area. The number three thing an accountant should be able to do for you is to project your income. Said differently, this answers the question, the all-important question, hey, uh, if I buy this practice, how much money am I going to make? When you're able to answer that question and get a sense of a reasonable range for that answer, you're going to start to feel a lot more confident about layering on that practice purchase debt, right? When you're staring down the barrel of, you know, getting a loan for a million dollars, but your accountant says, hey, you know, actually it's looking like you're going to make, and this was, I did this just this morning. I told the dentist, you're probably going to make between 550 and 650 a year buying this practice. Suddenly that million dollar debt doesn't feel quite as overwhelming. All right. I've got two more things your accountant should do for you. Fourth, your accountant should provide financial due diligence. The financial due diligence is simply a way to verify that what the seller is representing is actually taking place in the practice. They say they're collecting a million dollars a year. Are they actually collecting that? They say that their expenses for their employees are $300,000 a year. Are they really? How do those line up with the W-2 statements that they have sent into the IRS? Your accountant should be doing the financial due diligence where you are likely going to be doing the in-practice due diligence of looking around the office. Fifth and finally, and probably easiest actually, the accountant is going to give you some advice on your business entity. They're going to help you know whether or not a C-Corp is right. No, it's not. <laughs> whether or not an LLC, an S-Corp, a sole proprietorship is right in your case. Uh, for most of you out there, by the way, I'll just give you the answer. You'll want to be an LLC or a PLLC taxed as an S-Corp. There are some state exceptions, California being a big one. Okay, those are the five things an accountant should do for you. Now, an accountant is so valuable in this process, and they're going to be able to tell you whether or not the practice you have found is a good one. Um, all this assumes, of course, that you found a good practice to buy. If you haven't found a good practice, you don't need to hire an accountant. So how do you find that good practice? Well, I have, we've, we've talked about in the podcast, two really good methods, and I've got a video that explains those in detail with a takeaway PDF that you can have at your convenience. I go through in detail the steps to find a good practice, how to reach out to folks, what to say, what a mailer looks like, um, why you're sending mailers, what kind of response rate you can expect. And I've got those two best tips in a video that you can have for free at your convenience. Just text the word FIND, F-I-N-D, text the word FIND to 33777. So text the word FIND, 33777. I'd love to send you that video free of charge. And uh, you can have that to help you find the right practice. 
Okay, how much is an accountant going to charge you? Once you found that good practice, you've, you have a sense of what the accountant should be doing. The answer is pretty quick. Um, I would expect to see an accountant, and this is being recorded in the end of 2019, charging between 4,500 and I, I've seen upwards of $12,000 in accountant charging. Um, the good accountants that I run into, including my own fees with clients, tend towards the lower end of that range. Uh, but yeah, anywhere from 4,500 to 12,000 is normal. And, uh, and that's about what you're going to be paying. Now, the best accountants will not charge you that fee upfront. They will just charge you um, part of that fee as a retainer. And they will charge a little bit upfront and they won't charge you the full fee until you've actually closed on a practice that you own. Presumably, of course, so that you've got some working capital from a bank and you can then pay that bill. Uh, most accountants will not expect you to pay that bill up front and deplete the cash flow that you're going to need to qualify for bank loans. Okay. That's how much they charge. What are some questions you can ask account an accountant to decide whether or not you should hire them? Well, the first question I hope is obvious, but let's just say it and make sure you've got it on your list is, hey, do you specialize in dental? Are you a dental, not just focused, but a dental only accountant? There are enough accountants out there that only work with dental practices, that that's who I would hire. All right. Another question could, would be, do you specialize in transitions? This is important because it's very easy for accountants to think that they know how transitions work. Maybe they have a client or two every year that go through a transition and they assume that they know how the transition process works. In a lot of cases, that's not true. Your average dental CPA is so focused on taxes and day-to-day -day bookkeeping and accounting that they only encounter transitions a few times a year. So you want a dental accountant, a CPA that focuses on and does a lot of transition work. One question you can ask to see if that's true is just ask them, hey, how many transitions have you been involved with? I would look for a transition who does at least a couple a month, something like 24 a year would be a good number. Give or take, of course, and you can use your judgment, but any dental transitions focused accountant is going to be involved in at least that many. I would ask the question how many you are involved with right now, right? You want to find a good dental, if you find a good trans dental transitions accountant, that person is likely to be busy. So find out how busy they are and whether you're going to fall on the ranking system. And that's going to give you a sense also of how popular they are and whether or not they're a good choice. Um, I would ask a couple more questions would be, um, what types of services do, do you provide? What is your process to help me as a client? A uh, good dental accountant that focuses on transitions and dental only and isn't too busy, they're going to have a very specific and well-rehearsed answer to that question. They're going to know exactly how to answer it. They're going to know exactly what the average buyer is looking for, and they're going to have a, a clear stated process. In fact, most of them have it right on their website. And um, the CPAs that dabble or only involved in transitions a few times a year will hem and haw a little bit they'll talk about a few things and it'll be difficult for you to tell exactly what's happening ask your accountant very potential accountant how much they charge and when of course and then just finally ask them how you are going to interact with them through the transition set some expectations up front so you know a you know what type of communication vehicle they like phone call text email and what those types of communications are going to look like and and how often you're going to have them okay 
those are some great questions to ask your potential accountant. Um, I would, let's, let's focus on, as we finish up this episode, potential pitfalls to avoid as you're thinking about filling out your team and hiring that accountant. Um, the first I've touched on already is that a tax expert does not equal a transition expert. Okay, dental transitions, yes, have tax elements involved, uh, but they are not tax returns. Yes, you're reviewing tax returns. You need to be familiar with the process. But if you are focused on taxes for your clients, and let's say you as, an, as a potential buyer are ready to fart, start looking for a transition in the months of January through April, good luck getting that tax-focused accountant on the phone. They're going to be so heads down on tax returns that talking to you is going to be difficult. Um, another pitfall to avoid is no defined process. We touched on this already a little bit. Uh, it's frequent that dental CPAs want to get you in as a full-time accounting client. And so where they're not focused on transitions, they may not have a defined process. Um, yes, it makes sense. And dental accountants love getting transitions clients as new clients. There's not a lot of baggage from an old CPA. Uh, the tax returns and the books start fresh, so they're clean. They can train you to, in the, the right behaviors to make their life easier and to help you achieve your financial goals. Uh, so there's a natural incentive for dental CPAs to want to help transitions clients. What you need to do is to make sure that that accountant actually focuses on and knows the right way to do transitions. Um, last pitfall I'll talk about is whether or not you should use the seller's accountant. Right? The seller had an accountant, presumably, uh, that helped with taxes and bookkeeping. And a lot of clients will think, well, it's, you know, I'll just use yeah, the guy that the seller's been using. Um, I'm going to give you four reasons why I'm, you know, I would rethink that and think about hiring a different accountant. Uh, the first and foremost is that the seller's accountant now has a mixed loyalty for the transition. There are a few zero-sum elements of transitions. Not, you know, obvious ones would include price. But there's asset allocation, there's other elements of the deal that are zero sum. So I would look at hiring a different CPA uh, through the transition at least. Um, uh, a, a new accountant is going to have a fresh set of eyes. They're not going to have the carryover effect of looking at the last dentist's books and just assuming that everything is fine and normal. There's a potential for insights that can be missed that way. And so I just want you to be aware that that is a potential issue. And then finally, repricing from time to time is healthy. A lot of sellers have just been paying that accountant a certain amount for years and years and assuming that that's fair. Uh, and you may be able to find a better accountant for a cheaper price. So those are your potential pitfalls. An accountant should absolutely be on your team. Um, if you're not interested in hiring me, by the way, this, this, this podcast is not a goal to get you to hire me. If you want to, I'm happy to have that conversation, of course. But if you just want to know someone in your area, you want to get some referrals, I'm happy to help you with that. The sandbox is plenty big for me to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, to send names to anybody that's interested. And uh, you can just reach out directly to Brian at BrianHanks.com. So that's B-R-I-A-N at BrianHanks.com. Happy to send you those referrals. Get yourself a team. Make sure the accountant is good. And uh, thank you for listening today. Thanks for listening to the Practice Purchased Podcast. For more information about Brian's best-selling book, How to Buy a Dental Practice, or about the Practice Purchased Blueprint course, visit brianhanks.com.